Jean-Jacques Taylor joins us here on Iron Sports. Appreciate your time, Jean-Jacques. Hey, Ira, how's it going, man? Oh, it's going very good. So you're the former sports columnist of the Dallas Morning News. You just wrote a book that's coming out this week called Coach Prime on uh, Deion Sanders. So uh, it's so exciting. What a timely book. And, and you wrote this last year when he was at Jackson State, embedded in the program. You didn't know he was going to go to Colorado and become this. Well, he was pretty popular when he was at Jackson State, but not with the, the, the enthusiasm that we've seen this past year. Um. That's absolutely right. We were just fascinated by uh, what he was doing at Jackson State, and uh, to me, that alone was uh, was um, worthy of, of picking up my life in Dallas and moving to Jackson for six months. If you can imagine that. Well, when you cover and uh, spending time with the program, and uh, as I like to say, and I told him, I've been covering the NFL since 1995. I'm very familiar with football, but when you get inside a program or inside a team, you're like, wow, there's a trillion things going on that I had no idea about, and I thought I knew quite a bit. Right. Well, you have covered uh, Dion when he was in, in at, the, at the Cowboys, and for maybe our listeners who didn't actually see Dion or Coach Prime play, well, he was Dion then, now he's Coach Prime now, but back, describe a little about what an impact player he was. I mean, he was voted one of the top 75 greatest athletes of all time, so first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, describe about, like, what he was uh, as a player. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting because he pretty much – the term shutdown corner, which we use all the time now, was pretty much created because of him. Because when he put you, when they put Dion on you, you just didn't throw to that side of the field because uh, it wasn't worth the risk because might only might he not intercept it. He might take it back uh, for a touchdown because he was so electric with the ball in his hands. But the thing I tell people all the time when I'm talking about Dion is, yeah, he's a fantastic athlete, ran 4-2-something. 6'1", 195, which is big for a corner, especially with that kind of speed. But Dane, the reason it meant he was a great player was uh, he had incredible work ethic. When I'm talking about incredible work ethic, uh, you know, he says it all the time now to his players. You know, I, I practice, I made practice like a game so that the game would be like practice. And so the legendary battles between him and Michael Irvin and him and Jerry Rice at practice when he played with those respective teams is um, – all part of his lore. And when I say he was a student of the game, almost all of us remember the touchdown against the Falcons where he went like 94 yards down the sideline. And at the end of the game, he's like, this is my house. This will always be my house. Well, that play that he scored on in preparation for the game, he called former Atlanta Falcons receiver Michael Haynes and said, hey, tell me what you're doing on offense. Blase, blase. Got it, got it got all the information he needed. He did his film study. And then early in the game, he saw them run a formation. And he said, if I see this formation, they're probably going to throw it to Ryzen on this route. They did that. And so he said, I'm going to let him catch it. They did it later in the game. And he said, okay, I've seen it twice now. I'm going to let him catch this one too. <laughs> and then he said to himself, if they come back to it because they've had success, they're going to come back to it later. And then I'm going to go get it. And that's exactly what happened. They're playing the game. Formation comes up, broke on the ball, took it to the house, talked to the sideline all the way down the field. And it was all a product of the work that he did during the week that led to that interception and the big play that we all talk about now. 
Now, your book goes into detail. You, first of all, he was a high school coach, prime prep, AAA Academy, Trinity Christian. And the decision of Jackson State to hire him with no college experience, not been an assistant, but to go to an HBCU um, at Jackson State. That was it. You talked about the decision that came into like, well, this is our chance to, to bring Coach Prime into a program that has like four Hall of Fame. Uh, Walter Payton went there to Jackson State. They had won a lot of titles, but over the last couple of years, uh, fallen on hard times. Well, yeah, I think it was a situation, and, and I talk about it in terms of they needed him and he needed them. Um, <laughs> he's not a guy who can be really an assistant coach because he's a, he's a guy who's a leader, he's a guy who's in charge, and he just decided, man. And you know, I think that I think that rubs people the wrong way. Like, who do you think you are that you don't have to be an assistant? And if you look at it like this, man, I told the kid I was mentoring uh, this summer. I shouldn't call him a kid. He's like his mid-20s. And he was saying, well, I want to do this, but they say I shouldn't do this, and, you know, they say this. And finally I said, who the hell is they? And he said, well, you know, people. I said, no, like, literally, who is they and who are people? Because if you can't put a name to it, who cares? Um, just do what you're going to do and be bold in, in the decisions that you want to make and, and go attack it. And go attack it. I said, when I was a kid... Everybody says you're supposed to start at a very small newspaper and work your way up to a big market. I said, I don't like that idea. So I started at Dallas Morning News and stayed there for the first 20 years of my career and was the first intern to ever become a general columnist. And it's because I didn't care about they. And so Dion kind of takes the same approach in terms of he doesn't care about they. Um, they said he shouldn't play baseball and football, you know, so he doesn't really care. And so he just kept hunting and working and searching for a situation until he found a good fit. And Jackson State was a good fit. They needed him. He needed them. And you talk about his son, about Shador Sanders and coming to the program and the relationship that Dion has with Shador. We see it this year. It's out in the open, but it, you know, they, he's been his coaching his entire life as Shador. So talk about sort of when in the book, you know, what you explained about that relationship and how he's developed Shador into someone who people now is going to believe will be a starting quarterback in the NFL. Well, it's not just Shador. You got to understand, you know, Dion grew up in a single parent household until, uh, I mean, his dad was in and out of his life, but uh, until his mom got remarried when he was about nine. So he was a latchkey kid, came home, took care of himself. Now, this was before microwave, so your mama leave been on the top of the stove, and you got to warm it up in the oven. So that's how he grew up. And so fatherhood was very important to him. You got to understand, he got five kids. He's got Shadur, who's the quarterback. He's got Shiloh, who's the safety. He's got... Bucky, who's uh, that's his nickname, Dion Jr., who does all his media stuff regarding the team. And then he's got uh, Bossy Shalomi, who plays basketball in Colorado. Four of his five kids are with him in Colorado. So fatherhood is very important to him. Uh, he has individual dinners with uh, the three youngest ones on a weekly basis. Like he, he, has, uh, he has a meal with Shadur every Sunday. I'm not sure what day he hooks up with Shiloh. He has one with Bossy. And so... All of that is very important to him. It's not just uh, it's not just being a coach. It's being a father, and it's being present in their lives uh, in a way that his fathers weren't. And we talk about in the book. You go into detail. It's like when you look at Dion, you're like, "There's the diamonds and the this and the that and the music." But he is a very disciplined coach. Like if you walk in and you have an earring in a meeting, you're out. If you have the cell phone goes off, you're out. Like it's like you. He's a. It's a. It's somewhat a contradiction, but in terms of the fact that he is extremely runs a very disciplined program, but uh, but does give his players a lot of freedom. 
Well, he he only has a few rules, but his few rules are unyielding. <laughs> and you got to understand that uh, he's a product of all his coaches were like many Nick Sabans, whether it's Dave Capel, who coached him in youth football, that's Fort Myers Rebels, or if you're talking about Ron Hoover, who coached him in high school, or if you're talking about Mickey Andrews, who coached him at uh, as a defensive back at Florida State, they were all hard asses. And so that's the persona that he took on, and that discipline made him a better player. And so he took that discipline into every facet of his life. He's really probably the most disciplined person I know. And so he, he brings that to his players. And so he tells them, I'll never be more than 15 minutes early to the meeting, but when I show up, the meeting begins. So if I were you, I would get there 15 minutes early. Then you can never be late. But he doesn't do anything that he doesn't do for himself. Um, I've been out with him at a few times. Whatever event he's at, he's always 20 to 30 minutes early. And so he's teaching these kids the same thing, the values that are important to him. He's passing on to them. And so a lot of people get caught up in the flash and the confidence and the swagger and they lose sight or they don't know that, you know, he, he, he runs a Nick Saban like program and he's very disciplined and he demands that his players are disciplined. Um, Aubrey Miller was swag defensive player of the year at Jackson state last year. Well, he benched him for more than a quarter because he had a personal foul. He's like, it's a dirty play. We don't play like that. Take a seat on the bench and watch. Uh, he benched his son, Shiloh, for the SWAC championship game because he was late to a meeting in the building but wasn't seated in his seat when the meeting began. So he benched him for that game. So he benched an all-conference linebacker, Niles Gaddy, for the SWAC championship game because he missed because he was late to two team meetings in one week. So he didn't play in the SWAC championship game. Could have helped him. Uh, so he doesn't have a lot of rules, but the rules he has, he enforces. And you talk about in the book about the excitement. Now you were embedded in the program. You had first year was the, was the uh, COVID year, which was a mess. And then he, of course, the second year and then the third year, which is his final year at Jackson and all the media and all, everything we're seeing in Colorado, you saw in Jackson in terms of, you know, if game day came there and you wrote that whole story about when game day was there and all the excitement and the enthusiasm that he brought to a program in, in Jackson, Mississippi, that it, it is, you know, it, a town that is, has its struggles with the water and everything, but really just brought a lot of pride back to the city. Yeah, he did. It was a city that uh, needed hope, needed a respite from all it was going through. And uh, for a two-and-a-half-year period, he provided that. Um, you know, because the city, is, uh, it's got some good aspects to it, but the city in general goes through some hard times on a regular basis. A lot of poverty there. And so the football team is the state's team because they don't have anything else, uh, especially for black folks there. And so it's a big deal. And uh, he contributed quite a bit to the community. And by the same token, that's why there's a lot of bitterness when he left, because it's like, this was great for us. We loved having you here. Why did you leave us? <laughs> and so, I mean, it's like, but, you know, in a lot of relationships, it's as painful as a breakup may be. Did I leave you better off than I found you? And if the answer is yes, then, you know, you have to say, hey, the relationship had some merit. It was good. It was just time for it to end. I just loved in your book, and I was... I felt, you know, you talked about it. It was a theory theme that he was struggling with the president, dealing with the president of Jackson and, and that he would probably exit state and that he was looking at other programs. And when Auburn fired Brian Harson, Cadillac Williams was hired. And then you had Bo Jackson and Charles Barkley come out for Dion to go to Auburn. 
I felt he was a perfect match for Auburn, and I thought that was the program, not Nebraska, whatever. And and I was just shocked that he did not go, that that it did not work out to go to Auburn. What what's, what's your feeling about the situation and why he ended yeah, up choosing Colorado? Most folks thought that most folks in the building who had a little bit thought he was thought Auburn made sense. Auburn would be a really good fit, not just from a football perspective, but also you know Deion's an outdoorsman. He loves to fish. Um, he loves to be one in nature. And so the Auburn community, he can find a kind of place where he likes to be, which is out on a hundred acres somewhere with a big old house and a big old <laughs> lake where he can go fish. Uh, and so it made good from a cultural first fit for him as well. But uh, I don't think that really got any traction at Auburn really in terms of the people who are the powers that be. And uh, ultimately uh, somebody called him and told him and said, Hey, uh, Colorado will probably be calling you. Uh, don't dismiss them right away uh, because their AD really wants to win and there's a good chance he'll kind of let you do whatever you want to do. And so just pay attention to them. Just, you know, just don't dismiss them because they're, they're Colorado. Right. And um, ultimately, uh, Colorado made the pitch and basically told him just that. You can build the program you want to build and we'll get out of your way and let you do it. And, and that to him was appealing because here's the deal, man. And there's nothing wrong with this. He ain't for everybody. And everybody is not for him. Um, he's a man who lacks patience. If he calls his athletic director and says, I need this done today, he really wants it done today, not a couple of days when you get around to it. He wants it done today. And if not, he's calling you to ask me why I can't get done today. And, you know, so he's just not for everybody. He's really good at what he does. Uh, very organized, very detailed, meticulous, uh, almost to a fault. But that's how he gets the things done. And again, if if you can get down with that, then it's all good. And if you can't, it'll be a match made in hell. <laughs> and we're talking to John Jocks Taylor. Um, his book, Coach Prime, is out like I think tomorrow. Um, so yes, excited! Sir. And uh, you know, best of luck and everything on the book. I have just one, a couple, just two more questions. One is. In terms of talk about how he appeals and the tra- using the transfer portal and just getting players excited to the program. He had the number one transfer class. You see all the recruits that, that are committing there. Just the the enthusiasm and the use of social media. You go through in the book about everything. It's just it's just amazing how he is creating this uh, empire. It seems like in Colorado in just a just one year, one of the worst teams last year in football, and now you know very competitive this year. Uh, it's really used the same approach that he used at Jackson State, which is it's really genius, but it's not complicated. Mm-hmm. All these coaches, let's just talk about uh, Power Five, Group of Five coaches right now. What do 99% of them do? They close their program. You know, Lincoln Riley's mad because some reporter wrote about a story that two guys were talking about just before they sat down for their formal interview. He wants this guy suspended for two weeks. And you can't talk to our players unless, you know, unless we say so. And you can only talk to them right here. And Lincoln Corrales is not any different than 99% of these other coaches. They close their program. They either Maybe they don't let players talk. And so what does Dion do? He does the opposite. He opens up his program. He's available. Uh, he makes certain players available. But because of the way that they use social media, you know, every time they put a video out there, it's really a recruiting pitch. Hey, here's how I handle adversity. Here's how we handle the tough loss. Here's how I discipline my players. Here's how, I, here's how I talk to my players. Here's how I start every meeting with a prayer. 
you know, uh, and so what he's doing is he's sending a message and he's controlling the narrative about Colorado football. It doesn't matter what I write or what anybody else writes. If you want to know what's going on with Colorado football, all you do is click on Well Off Media <laughs> or the pregame show or a couple other spots, and you can literally see for yourself what he's all about in the locker room after a game where he tells Cormani McLean, a top uh, top cornerback in the country, one of the top recruits, five-star recruit, hey, here's another kid. I've been on his butt. I'm going to keep my foot on his throat because I want the best for him. Hey, good job, man. I'm proud of you, but I'm going to be on you next week. Well, what parent doesn't want to see that? No, no, no. He's a five-star kid who didn't play the first three games because he wasn't studying film, he wasn't practicing well, and he missed a couple team meetings. And he said, until you change your behavior, you're not going to play. And if you want to hit the portal, well, hit the portal. I don't care because I want you to be a better person and a better man. And so that resonates with parents. And if you were a real player, it resonates with you because – you know he knows what it takes to get to the league. Uh, and so all of that, in addition to the fact that you can meet your favorite rapper <laughs> and party with him before the game in the locker room, um, all of that is enticing the kids. You know, you got, you know, and I'm just using Nick Saban, who obviously is a great coach, but he's like, I don't know what this Twitter thing is and this Instagram, you know, this social, I don't really know about it. Well, where are the kids today? Where can you find kids of football playing age? You find them on Instagram, watching reels. Uh, And so Dion is on Instagram with his 2.9 million followers or whatever it is. And he meets kids where they're at, and that's appealing to them because they feel like he gets me. Even though he's my dad's age, even though he can be a disciplinarian, he can also tell me the difference between an NBA young boy and, uh, and Dirk. And who knows? Maybe they'll both be at a game. Right. Well, thanks so much. I really appreciate you coming on. I hope you do. I hope your book is fantastic. I read it through over last night, over the weekend. And uh, if it's really an insight, you know, it's, I think it's a great book for high school kids because you can you go in and talk to so many of the players. I mean, and you're embedded in the program and you're getting their, their you know, feelings of what everything is and the good, the bad and, and all that. So I really enjoyed reading the book. Hey, thanks, man. That means a lot. I appreciate that. Thank you so much.